Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast with your host, Jim Robinson. Hello, and welcome back to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Robinson. The growing season and harvest season for 2021 is now almost completely in the books. Every year, we like to take a look back at how the year went. What were the dominant factors in the year that impacted yield or the agronomics of corn and soybeans? How did these factors vary across geographies? And how does this set up as we go into next year? To talk about that with us today, we have Rob Seco product evaluation leads, Nate Meyer and Jacob Foley with us. Welcome, Nate. How are we doing today, Jim? Doing well. Welcome, Jacob. Good to hear from you guys. Yeah. So, Jacob, to best understand the year, we have to look back at, at how fall of 2020 ended up. Could you tell us a little bit about the fall of 2020 and how that really set us up for this spring in 2021? Yeah, so different geographies had a little different looks to their falls, right? Uh, we had we had some counties in Iowa, Nebraska, southwest Minnesota that had some record droughts for August. I mean, they're the driest ever. And then that mm-hmm. that did play out in a little bit into later into the summer too. We had you know the, the South Dakota had a really dry fall. Parts of Iowa were dry, and then but you know we had other places too that had uh, adequate or more normal moisture for the for the most part. Minnesota and East. Had, had pretty good moisture. Parts of Iowa, Nebraska had okay moisture from some nice rains. Uh, we had, you know, we had some snowfall. I remember we had our first snowfall last fall, um, somewhere in the middle of October. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that's, that, that snowfall came, melted, and we were able to capture that into the, into the subsoil, which is great. But we didn't really get, you know, we didn't get a cold winter temperatures before we had snow. We had a nice blanket of snow before we got to cold temps, which which helps our corn rootworm egg populations. But mm-hmm. we'll get into that when we talk more about 2021 here later. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, overall things were a little bit of dry coming into that fall. Most of the field work got finished up, but then we got that blanket of snow, like you said, that uh, really helped survival of corn rootworm. But Nate, these dry conditions coming into the spring, how did that impact the planting conditions? Then how did planting go overall? Well, Jim, if we look at planting from this year, it was probably the most timely planting uh, I've seen for many, many years. Um, you know, April and May were relatively cool, but the fields were ready to go. It was pretty optimal planting conditions when we got to those dates. Um, generally speaking, uh, planting went really fast. Um, most of the farmers that I know and that I saw finished probably had a schedule. So we were off to a really good start. Stands in the fields this year, both corn and soybeans looked phenomenal. Um, in fact, outside of a couple areas where we had some late May frosts, um, some parts in the, uh, North Dakota and down into Kansas, believe it or not, uh, we had some replant for soybeans. So, mm-hmm. And then the cooler temperatures in April and May uh, didn't really allow us to get a lot of heat units, uh, but having the optimal planted dates, we still had a lot of corn that was V6 by the time it got to June 1st. Exactly. And, you know, as you said, there's, there's so little replant this year that this was the lowest replant year that most of the seedsmen I've talked to have ever seen in their careers, uh, other than those areas where that frost did get the beans up right. in North Dakota, parts of Kansas, etc. So, Jacob, we had really nice planting conditions, early planting through April and May, albeit a little bit cool. How did that translate into June and parts of July? Yeah, so June, we got we got hot and, and quickly. You know, Nate mentioned we had a little bit, of, we had a late May frost that hurt some beans. I remember looking at at frosted beans in North Dakota in 100 degree temperatures. We just, we went from 
<laughs> a cold May snap mm-hmm. to a hundred degrees quickly. Yes. And, and that, that kept going for most of June and into July, we were hot. The, the crop responded very nicely and really took off and grew quickly. We had a lot of cornfields that were, you know, chest high to tassel at the, by the 4th of July. We really blew right past that knee high by the 4th of July corn is in the U.S. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So, um, that's corn, but when we talk about soybeans, you know, we had a, we heard a lot about it in June and into July. Hey, we're seeing cup soybeans. What's, what's going on? Well, we saw a lot of widespread that can injury this year in June and July. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. a, a lot of that, a lot of that crop, requ- or, uh, excuse me, recovered really, really well. Um, we had really good uh, 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 yields just fall off, off of enlist, uh, even though we had a lot of fields that really sat there with that dicamba injury for a number of weeks, you know, being so dry and hot that mm-hmm. the, bean, the beans just couldn't grow out of that, that injured look that they had, right? So mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> we also, we m- m- mentioned the corn rootworm earlier. We saw a lot, this was a heavy corn rootworm year, north, south, east, west. Um, that, that snow cover we mentioned, you know, we had favorable conditions in the winter for rootworm. We had good snow cover and we never got cold enough down in that soil to take care of, to kill off those eggs. We, ne- we also never had a, a, a heavy saturating May rain to basically drown those eggs out either. So, mm-hmm. and the challenges continued into July. You know, we, uh, we, we said we were hot in June. We had a kind of a phenomena in most of the corn belt. We had a, a stretch in July, we had really cool temperatures, nights down in the 50s, high 40s, and mm-hmm. we saw some sensitive hybrid silk ball from Texas all the way up into Minnesota and South Dakota. Yep. Um, something we've not really seen before, Jim, I don't think. Yeah, it's been quite a while since last uh, major silk balling event for sure. Right. And then, you know, and in July, too, we had, you know, a little different than last year. You know, we had the duration in Iowa last year. We, we had other wind events this year in Nebraska in july uh northern iowa southwest south dakota all the way up you know up into the morris wapton area we had some pretty severe windstorms in late uh, july and into august that really caused some stock lodging a little bit of green snap too it was it, it was a tough summer for a lot of guys absolutely you know it things started off so nicely with with nice planting to begin with and then some of those dry temperatures persisted and then wind events happen and corn rootworm and all that fun stuff. So it was a, it was a typical summer in the Midwest in that <laughs> regard. So Nate, how did these mid to late summer conditions differentially impact various geographies? Well, Jim, you know what the saying goes, it says rain makes grain. And that was very apparent this year. And it basically depended on how timely was that rain. And um, so, I mean, just small difference in rainfall this year meant huge swings in yield. Um, whether it be across a section, being five, ten bushels across a section, or if we looked in the county 10, 20 miles apart, it might have been the difference in the same hybrid of 30-plus bushels. So, exactly. Same planting dates, too, in some cases. Same planting dates in some yeah. cases. So, I mean, it was it was very apparent as I spent time driving across Iowa, Nebraska. It, it was 20 miles of green, beautiful corn and soybeans, and then... 20 miles later, it was struggling a little bit and Mm -hmm. they needed a rain. Definitely. So, um, you know, looking at the rain swings this year, soybeans, uh, were helped more than the corn by the late rains. Um, they had time to make larger beans within those pods and, uh, Mm -hmm. saw some really great soybean yields this year. Um, early maturity, high, 
uh, hybrids or varieties. We're helped in some cases. Fuller season products were helped in other cases. It just really depends on when you got the rain. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so an earlier rain that shut off late in the season would help the early season hybrids. Right. Full season hybrids were helped by those later By the August. later rains. Yep. Exactly. So, and, uh, you know, where rains came, almost all the dicamba-injured soybeans um, recovered had fantastic yields. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it didn't rain, though, um, the dicamba injury stayed within those beans, but honestly, even the dicamba beans in those areas didn't have very good yields just because they needed the rain. So we saw some yields down in the teens and low 20s for that. Exactly. So. Didn't really matter which platform. No, it didn't. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, we, we did even see in some places where we didn't get an early rain or a late rain. And so drought tolerance really won its way out. You know, some places we saw as low as plot averages of 13 bushels an acre right. others 40 yes as we looked out west um they they had uh, look at their spring was a little different than anybody else's they had a lot of rain in uh april and may and tough plant conditions a lot of them didn't get their crops in until june and then it just quit raining mm-hmm. so um obviously the hybrids out there that had the best drought tolerance the artesian products we're the ones that did the best. Exactly. And we have a lot of cases as we looked at our strip trials this last year that really illustrate these effects of, of a strip trial where the earliest season hybrids or varieties consistently beat out the full season ones. And then we had the vice versa where the fuller season you have, the, the better the product looked. I mean, there have been a number of plots where you just staircase up in terms of total yields. If you go from a 2.5 and 2.3, on a, a certain soybean variety, and it just getting kept getting higher and higher yields until you reached a three three, and nothing earlier season beat anything fuller than it. It was it was crazy in that regard. Right, and in a couple of cases where we had no significant rain the whole year, there was no difference between the two two to the three three. Everything mm-hmm. yielded at about twenty five to thirty bushels. Exactly. So. Exactly. So Jacob, harvest really started out strong, but. It dragged on a lot longer than 2020's harvest did. Can you tell us a little bit about why might, that might be? Yeah, depending on where you work, depending on your geography. Uh, before we really got started, I, I was thinking, boy, with you know how dry some places have been, I thought uh, we're going to be done with combining in the first week of October with how things were looking in the north and some of those drier areas. And that was true. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, Minnesota got in, and North, you know, North Dakota, Minnesota's dryers got in. We got the crop out and got things done. Places like Nebraska and Iowa, where they had more water and had a, a lot, uh, a lot better year, they just had so much grain that they didn't have places they could store it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they had to they had to slow down and, and wait for for room to show up. They could you know they could store their grain. So it really depended on where you were. I mean, if you had the areas like I said where you had drought, things were fast. If you were areas where you were lodged corn from whipworm or those winds, you know things things are slow having to get things done. But you know, like you said, overall we just it, it just felt like harvest dragged on and on. I mean, we got we judge a lot of how the corn crops going by as, you know, as plots come in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, excuse me, I know in Wisconsin, our, uh, our DSR, John Reamer, he, he was taking a plot off today. Wisconsin had a beautiful year. They had a nice, they had a, a more Minnesota year than Minnesota did for sure. They had nice amounts of water uh, and, and, the, and the crop just, it, it just, it, it hung on and he's taken plots off this week yet. So yeah. it really depended on where you were. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we had a record speed in some places and then, 
almost record slowness in others. It's it's you know when it typically takes you about a day to harvest an eighty, and instead it takes three days. It's things go slow if you have to slow down that much in order to pick the the corn that may be down from rootworm damage or or wind damage. So you know in general, if if you look across much of the Rapsico footprint. The overall yields from what we saw were either record yields. I mean, the state of Nebraska uh, reportedly set a new yield record as a state, or as it was projected to as at the time of this recording. And you get into other areas like North Dakota, western Minnesota, and, and a lot of the yields were significantly off. But overall, across much of the Corn Belt and nationally, we're probably not going to be too far off from, from some pretty high yields just because you know, in the areas where we had drought and reduced yields, that wasn't a large enough area to impact the record crops in, in other geographies. And so, you know, as we look into what 2022 might bring, you know, it's really hard to say as we see trends that don't necessarily continue. We may not be dry next year. We may be dry next year. But, you know, what's really ultimately one truth that we probably have, it's that corn rootworm are here and they're going to be here next year as well. I mean, Nate, can you comment at all on what we expect pressure to be just based on what we saw this year? So, Jim, we've been tracking corn root now for three plus years and it's been building up slowly over the year, um, over the years. Uh, looking under traps, we're getting uh, more pressure than we have in the past. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, uh, looking at the environment right now, it's stacking up that we're going to have even heavier pressure next year. Mm-hmm. So even some areas are having extended diapause where they hadn't necessarily sawed as much in the past. So people need to be uh, very aware that a uh, rootworm product and also possibly an insecticide mm-hmm. is going to be needed for next year. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the only thing that could really reduce pressure next year is if we have a really open winter. So right. no snow cover and then get down into very those cold. ultra cold temperatures. Yep. Or if we get a late May gusher that just absolutely saturates the soil right, right at hatch so those those larvae die but we can't guarantee that's going to happen by the time we know it's going to happen or not we'll already have the crop plant it's already planted yep yep so jim if I, jim if i could add sorry just yeah some militias might want to be thinking about hey you know corn rootworm they care about gdus like a corn crop does right mm-hmm. and they they start accumulating gdus when when they're late so they've been collecting gdus this fall so where we sit today rootworm is is off to a really good start unfortunately we're we're going to need something to impact that those those populations where guys are going to have to like nate said they're going to have to give different modes of action and insecticide on all their acres to take care of that that the pressure we're going to see next year for sure particularly a granular insecticide i mean we will have probably a little Mm -hmm. bit earlier of a hatch given the gdu accumulation like you mentioned and then you know to really the right timing of insecticide being available at the time of the hatch, we, we probably need a granular in most cases. Right, Jim. We need something that has a half-life at least 30 days. Exactly. Exactly. So to kind of summarize what, what we went over today, I mean, basically we started out the year really nicely with, with almost perfect planting conditions in April and May where, you know, things were a little bit cooler than usual, but not enough so to cause any issues. And so the crop went in at a really timely time time and by the time we got into june we had corn kind of right where we wanted and needed it to be and that's when the heat really kicked in and crops started growing quickly we got up to our typical tassel down to about chest high by the fourth of july and uh after that you know we got our normal hey stuff starts to happen this time of year where the corn rootworm pressure that had been hatching and feeding all throughout june we really started to see some of those fields start to go down as winds came through nebraska 
uh, parts of Minnesota, Dakotas, and then uh, in addition to causing any green sap it may have caused, and then dicamba injury, uh, saw plenty of that. And then as we got later and later into the season, those dry areas either got drier or recovered, and that really impacted yields based on maturity, based on timing of rain, as you might expect, or just never got enough rain whatsoever. Now, these conditions, you know, whether you move north to south, had differential impacts, but overall yields were generally good unless you were in an area that just never got rain. And harvest, while it dragged out longer than in 2020, some of that was for good reasons because yields were there, others because corn was down. Right. And so would you guys add anything into that summary? No, Jim, I mean, it's, it's a good way to sum up the year um, so people can look at hybrids and varieties and understand how they performed and why they performed, uh, which is important. But also when you're doing that, you need to take multi-year into uh, multi-year data into this because no year's ever going to be the same, mm-hmm. and we know this. So, Exactly. How about you, Jacob? Anything you'd like to add? No, I think we got her covered. Um, um, uh, you know, we'll have this talk again next year. We're going to talk about how the fall of 21 impacted 22 crop. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what comes up next. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be uh, talking about that before we know it. So, as always, be sure to tune in on the 1st and 15th for new episodes. And until then, stay field ready. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. Join us next time to be field ready. A Huda Media Production.